Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Wonderful, uh, wonderful. As David has just said, we are at the start of a new series this week, a series on prayer, which is called The Lord's Prayers, where we will be learning from Jesus and how he prayed and what that means for us. And today we're going to start with a scene in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, where we find Jesus in conversation with his disciples. And we're going to start with this conversation. Then we're going to look at Jesus. Jesus' response to what the disciples act. We're going to read together a story that he told to exemplify and bring light and meaning to his response. And throughout, we're going to consider what our response to Jesus' answer um, to the disciples' question is. So, all of that, we have to come. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, where we find Jesus in conversation with his followers, his closest friends, those who'd been with Jesus daily. They'd been part of his rhythms of life. They'd seen the times that he had spent overnight in prayer on the mountains. They had been around when he spent 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting. Um, and today we find them making a request of Jesus. And this conversation is going to frame our time together. So let's read it. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. And it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed or holy, be your name. Teach us to pray, the disciples asked Jesus, just as John taught his disciples. And people of the Jewish faith have historically had a prayer that is central to their, um, their community, a prayer known as the 18 benedictions, a prayer that is prayed regularly throughout the day that was their community prayer. And it is thought that John had also taught his disciples a prayer, a prayer of his followers. And these common prayers gave a sense of shared identity, a sense of common values, a prayer of community, a shared sense of an understanding of who God is and who they were. And so now we find the disciples in this conversation recorded in Luke asking Jesus the question, would you teach us to pray? How can we pray like you? How can we live like you? We want to pray like you. We are your followers. What is our community prayer? What is our shared prayer, Jesus? What prayer will shape our understanding of God and life. Teach us to pray, Jesus, they asked. And Jesus answers them, when you pray, say, Father. And this is where we are going to kind of rest today. And we're going to go on over the next few weeks looking at the rest of the Lord's Prayer. But today, this is us. This is where it begins. And the prayer that Jesus gave to anyone who chooses to follow him, and this is open invite, anyone who wants to pray like him, anyone who wants to live like him, the prayer he gave us begins with Father. 
And I just think that's the most amazing beginning <laughs> that he could have given. Jonathan David Helser, who I know some of us might know, he's a singer-songwriter, and he has written this gorgeous song called Abba, which is all about the fatherhood of God. And he says of this moment, Jesus started a revolution when he said the word Father. And I love that. And he doesn't mean that Jesus instigated an uprising, but rather when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Father, he was defining the relationship between God and humanity. He was returning their understanding of identity to where it began and where it belongs. Now, this wasn't the first time that God had introduced himself or revealed himself as Father. He did that throughout the Old Testament. He made himself known as the Father of Israel. And we can read that in Jeremiah and Isaiah and so many other passages in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself said, I didn't come to abolish or get rid of all that has gone before, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to bring the fullest understanding of who God is. Is I have come to show you who the Father is. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father and I are one, said Jesus. And the way that Jesus prayed and lived his life began and was rooted in his relationship with the Father. So Jesus is showing us this is what it looks like to live as a human in prayer, in relationship and friendship with the the Father. He's teaching his disciples and anyone who chooses to follow him that the primary way to understand, to respond to, to love and be loved by God is to know him as Father. Jesus talked all the time about his father. You can read it throughout the New Testament. The primary way that he communicated who God was and he spoke of God was as father. Jesus's prayers defined him. In the NIV commentary on this passage, it says, disciples on, oh, sorry, start that again. Disciples are called to childlike trust, not to a shallow childish intimacy. Real intimacy with God is not based on feelings, nor on what the Father can do for me, but on an appreciation of the true nature of the believer's relationship to God. Disciples, followers of Jesus are invited into this relationship, this life of prayer with God that starts with an understanding of who God is and who we are. And Jesus teaches us to pray and to live because how we pray is how we live. He teaches us to begin with Father. And this is echoed throughout the New Testament in passages in Romans 8, where it speaks of who we are. We didn't receive a spirit that makes us a slave to fear, but we have received a spirit of sonship and we can cry Father. And God himself, the spirit of God himself tells us that we are God's children. And in 1 John, he says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. That is what we are. And so our prayers, whether they're our words or our tears, our groans, our writings, our art, our prayer, praying of the Bible, whatever shape or form our prayers may take, they aren't just part of 
our relationship with God. They are our relationship with God. Our prayers are where our understanding of who God is and who we are is held. How we pray and who we believe that we are praying to defines everything. And so my question to us at the beginning of this series on prayer, at the beginning of this new year, January 2017, my question to us is, it's a question that Jesus asked his disciples, is who do you say God is? Who do you say that he is? Now, you might never have considered this question before. This might be your first time in church and you're thinking, I don't know who God is and that is why I am here. I am here to discover and learn who God is. Or maybe you haven't been in a long time and you haven't considered this for a while. Maybe you've been coming for a few months and you're thinking, do you know what? I'm just starting to learn who he is, but I'm still not quite sure. And I'm still in this process. And just so you know that you are welcome that you are so welcome to have all the space that you need and you want to work this out um, for yourself. Or maybe you have known God all your life and you have thought about this question a lot. Wherever we're at today, I ask all of us, whether it's for the first time or again, who do we say God is? Who do we say that he is? A few months ago, I was teaching in a primary school and I was um, in a year one class. So they're five and six year olds. And if you've got kids, you might know this story. Don't know if anyone has kids. <laughs> it was very applicable this morning. But, uh, anyway, it's a great story. Maybe we'll come across it one day. Um, but in this story, um, it is about a teddy bear. And the teddy bear makes a rocket out of things that he finds at home. So like a colander for a helmet and blah, blah, blah. So he, And then the story is all about him making this rocket and then going to space. And it's all about his adventure. So we were in this literacy lesson, reading this story together. And our job for the day was to talk about what everyone in the class would make their rocket out of and then they were going to write their own version of the story so we were having our little chat on the carpet and I was asking you know like what would you make your rocket out of in this one little person said oh I would make my rocket out of a swirling whirling umbrella that would spin me up to space so I was like amazing and someone else said I would make my rocket with taps on and I'd turn the taps on and the water would gush out and power me up to space. It's like brilliant, like this is going great. And then I saw this other little guy um, and I said, what would you make your rocket out of? And he just looked at me and he said, uh, a box. So I was like, okay. I said, what shape would your box be? And he's like, a box. So I was like, okay, oh, what color would your box be? He's like, a box. I was like, I am not getting anywhere here. So I said, okay, can you tell us why you have chosen a box? And this little five-year-old looked at me and he said, because I can spell box and I know you're going to make me write this down. <laughs> I was like, he's got it. At which point I think the guy who thought of the swirling, whirling umbrella was like, darn it. <laughs> why? Why did I think of that? But I could just imagine what was going on in this little dude who'd chosen the boxer's head. He's probably thinking, look, we've been here before. Every day she gets me to talk about stuff on the carpet and then we just have to write it down. I know how this goes. And he's thinking, we're just going to keep it simple. I can spell box. I'm going to write this sentence down. You don't need to help me. And then we can all go to play and have a lovely rest of the day. So that is what he did. <laughs> 
There you go. Who do we say that God is? At times we have probably all given or will at some point give, I know I have done this, the answer, a box. (laughs) Here's your answer. Don't really wanna think about it anymore. Whatever that might mean for us, whatever that answer might be for us, this is the answer now. Let's just go and enjoy (laughs) the rest of the day or whatever that might look like. And there's gonna be no roving microphone this morning. You don't need to fill in a questionnaire on your way out. You don't need to tell me your answer. You don't owe me an answer to this question. I simply place it before us this morning and ask, who do we say God is? And when I say who do we believe, who do we say that he is, I mean, who do we live that he is? Who do we wonder about? Who do we believe? Who do we believe? Who do we say God is? Because the answer to this question will shape everything. How we answer this question will shape our own lives, how we give and receive love. It will shape how we respond to news and events around the world. It will shape how we experience grief and suffering in our own lives and the lives of others that we encounter. It will shape Excuse me, it will shape how we plan and navigate our career. It will shape who we are as a church, how we worship, how we live out being family, how we contribute to the good of this city, how we pray. If we follow this question to the places it will take us to, it will lead us to the very depths of who we are. It might begin a process that lasts for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, or a couple of months, or a couple of years. Who do I say God is? And I have grown up with a mum and dad who have loved God, and so I grew up knowing him all my life, and I have known his goodness and his kindness and his love throughout my life. But there have also been times when I have asked myself this question, or I have felt like I have faced this question head on when I least expected it. About 12 years ago, I was studying Bible college. I was studying... um, theology and youth ministry and the first year was amazing and I loved it and was having a great time, was thoroughly enjoying all that I was learning and then the second year came around um, and the second year found me heartbroken and it found me in a place where I was questioning everything. I was questioning everything about my faith and I remember being sat in lectures thinking this is crazy. This is crazy. I do not know who you are, God. I do not know what I believe or what I think anymore. And I felt like I was locked in a white box. It's the only way I can describe it. I can still picture it. And everywhere I turned was the same. And everywhere was nothing. It felt like life was nothing. Life was empty. And I was still going on and kind of doing life and living life. But my heart and my soul and my mind was living in this white box and then I asked this lasted for about eight months Um, and then I asked uh, a couple of ladies that I knew to come and pray with me because even though I was in this place I I just knew that I needed to ask someone (laughs) to help and I asked them to come and pray with me and they came around to my house one afternoon and we were chatting together Um, and then one of them said to me Joe, do you want an unshakable faith 
And I, to be honest, I didn't actually really know what that meant at the time, but something from the depths of me said, yes, that is what I want. And I found myself praying, God, I don't even care if I can't remember anything that I'm learning at college. I just wanna know you with a childlike faith. And the funny thing is, I think God answered both parts of those prayers, or at least that happened. <laughs> I find myself in conversations quite often where I'm thinking, I'm sure I should be able to contribute to this conversation if Liam's discussing theology or something in the office or whatever it might be, and I, I have no idea what is happening. But, uh, but the truth is, he also answered my prayer as he revealed to me who he was. And it's not to say that what I was learning at Bible college wasn't important, but more important to God was my heart. More important to him was who I believe and believed that he is and who that made me. And the second time, a couple of years after that, I was at a camp that we grew up going to in North Wales. And it was, it's this gorgeous spot in North Wales, just near Pathelli. Um, and a group of churches from Merseyside have bought it. They bought it in the 50s, just after the war, so they could take kids from Liverpool um, on holiday there throughout the summer. And we were there this one year. I was, we were a bunch of friends. We were leaders um, on site. And we were just hanging out outside the chalet one day, just chatting the way you do, just... Well, I can't even remember what we were talking about. And someone said something. And the response in my mind just came. And I, I can't remember what they said, but I can remember the moment when I just thought, God, I don't believe that you are good. I don't believe that you are good eternally. Like through and through good, whatever happens, I don't think I believe that you are good and I have learned that sometimes those thoughts or those realizations or those questions might come to us in a moment. And sometimes we might dismiss them. And sometimes we might just think, I actually need to think about this. I need to look at this in my life. I need to pay attention to this. And I basically spent the rest of that week at camp going up to the top field that overlooks um, the sea. And I said this morning, it sounds kind of romantic and lovely when you're like, I went up to the top field that overlooks the sea and I prayed. And I was just like Jesus going up to the mountain at night and it, it was so great. Actually, it wasn't. I don't know if you've ever done this, but being in a field at night in North Wales is actually really cold. <laughs> And it was beautiful, and I was so grateful to have that space, but it was muddy because it had been raining. I fell on the log and got a splinter in my leg. <laughs> like, this just actually happens. But my prayer as I walked around that field that week was, God, I want to believe that you are good. I want to believe that you are good, that that is the nature and character of who you are. And I can honestly say I don't quite know what happened, but I know that God hears our prayers. God loves to help us know him. God loves to help us understand who he is and who we are. And so I can honestly say that he showed me that week that he is good. And I believe it with all my heart that he is good. 
good. And there might be questions of your own heart. You couldn't have answered that for me. I needed to go to that field on my own (laughs) and potter around and pray. And I can't answer the questions of your heart. We each have our own hearts and we're living our own stories. But all I can encourage us to do is to say, pay attention. (laughs) Create the space where we can ask these questions and spend time allowing the one who loves to help us know him meet us and the truth is the last few months I have felt again this is the third time that I'll speak about that I have felt again the weight of heaviness and grief um, I, as I have grieved these last few months over events that have happened in my family over the last couple of years and also I don't know if you remember but I um, the death not sorry not that you remember but I know not all of us knew John Payne but uh, John Payne was a good friend to quite a few of us um, and he died suddenly in September and as we have grieved his death I have asked again God who are you who are you and who does that mean that I am what does this look like and The last few weeks, God has tenderly walked me through my own heart as I have come to know him again, as I have read books and watched films and had conversations and gone for long walks and listened to music and had conversations. I am coming to know him as a good father in deeper and truer ways than I ever have before. And I tell you all of that, not just to talk about my own life, because I actually prefer not to, but I tell you all of that. I know because these questions, when we pay attention to him, these questions that rise to the surface are there because they are revealing something deeper that is going on. These questions take us not back to the same place every time so that we're just going over the same ground but these questions are taking us deeper and deeper and deeper into a truer and fuller understanding of who God is and who we are and I happen to be the one that has stood here this afternoon but I know so many of us could share our own stories of where we have traveled to the depths of our own hearts and the hearts of our faith then I tell it because this life of faith is not a life of neatly packaged and ticked boxes. This life of faith, if we are ever wondering, is a life of questions and wonder and doubt and wisdom and understanding and mystery and truth and love. This life of late life of faith is a journey that we will walk on as we discover in significantly beautiful ways who God is and as we keep on asking ourselves God who do I say that you are and I know sometimes going to the depths of who we are is not easy for a number of reasons and one of those might seem that it just can seem a bit indulgent sometimes but Parker Palmer who has written a lovely book called Let Your Life speak and he's an amazing guy and in this book he says go far enough on the inner journey go past ego toward true self and you end up not lost in narcissism but returning to the world bearing more gracefully the responsibilities that come with being human 
And as I have prepared and prayed for this afternoon, I have not prayed that this would just be a well-formed talk that would tell us who God is. Although, as I said this morning, that is also helpful. <laughs> you would probably say amen. <laughs> but my prayer has been that we would allow ourselves the half an hour that we have, the hour and a half that we have in total together, to give ourselves space to hear our hearts and ask this question, who do I say God is? When Jesus says, this is how you are to pray, pray, Father, do I believe him? Do I believe that God is a good father? Where has my understanding of God come from? It can be so easy to create a God from our own experiences, to create who we think God is. And when Jesus says, Father, I know and, and he knows that that will bring to mind memories of our own earthly dads. And every single one of us in this room will have different stories and different experiences of an earthly father. We all bring our stories here today. Some of us will have had an amazing earthly dad, someone who is patient and kind and encourages us and believes in us and wants the best for us. And that dad has helped us have an understanding of who God as father might be. But I know that some of us will have had the opposite and the very word father might evoke memories of absence or fear, abuse, unreliability, neglect. And just because I speak briefly of that here this afternoon does not mean that I speak of it lightly. And there might be a process that we need to begin to just wrestle with that in itself. But whatever our earthly experience of our dads have been, God is not a reflection of our earthly fathers. He is not made in our image. God is not made in the image of us. He is not made in the reflection of our earthly dad. However amazing our dad has been, God is not a reflection of the fathers we have known. He is the perfection of fatherhood. He is the perfect father. Father, hallowed or holy be your name, Jesus said in this prayer. God's fatherness, fatherhood and his holiness do not diminish one another. So if God has been told to us that he is the perfect and holy father, how can we understand this? Where can we bring our question? Jesus, you have taught us to pray, Father, where can I bring my question of who do I believe you are? The best place to bring it is the Bible. And that's not just the right answer. <laughs> that is the only place that we will discover and learn who God has told us that he is. And as we read the Bible and as we talk about it together and as we think on it and as we wrestle with it, we get to actually experience who God has told us to be so we can hold our question up in this light. And Jesus revealed to us the Father. He did it in the way that he lived and in the stories that he told. And there's one story that we're gonna look at together this afternoon just to give some 
like flesh to this in a sense. Jesus loved to tell stories to help capture our imagination, to ground his teaching, to allow his listeners to put themselves in the shoes of the characters in the stories to help understand who God is. And he told a story that we find in Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to read it from the screen because I'm not sure what I've done with my Bible. But um, in Luke chapter 15, um, verses 11 to 32, it said, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a different country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You can imagine him holding up their arms. <laughs> I look like, come on, it's time to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother is come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This amazing story to tell us who the father is. And in this story, we have three characters. We have the younger son and the older son and the father. The pictures of them will come up. As I said this month, these are not them. <laughs> these are just pictures I found on the internet <laughs> that will uh, help us picture <laughs> who they are. But three characters, the younger son, the older son, and the father. The younger son 
The younger son asked for his inheritance. He wanted everything that the father had to give him, but he didn't want to know the father. He left home. He left the father and he went to a different land. And soon the famine in the land that he had gone to mirrored, mirrored the famine in his own heart. And so he made a plan, but he thought, you know what? I can't come back as a son. I have wasted my one chance to be a son, but I'm going to come back as a servant. That will be my speech. That will be my plan. And he made his decision decision to return home. And then we've got the older son. The older son was a hard worker, it seems. The older son had stayed on his father's land, but it also seems that even though he'd stayed on his father's land, he didn't seem to know him. I have slaved for you, he said. This is what I've done. This seemed to be their relationship. The older son didn't seem to miss his younger brother. He didn't seem to care whether he was gone or whether he was back. It seems like probably in the mind of the older brother, all that the leaving of the younger son had done was give him more work. And he thought, you know what? I'm just gonna have to take care of what has been left to me to do and the younger brother can take care of himself. It seemed like both these brothers believed the father was someone to receive from, someone that you needed to work for in order to earn your position in the family. They were kind of belonging to the culture of their time in the sense that they thought, do you know what? If I have left home, there's no way that my father would welcome me back because the father would have disowned his son. Asking for your inheritance from your dad while you're still alive was like wishing him dead. And they thought, this is it. This is all this father is. But in this story that Jesus told, who the brothers believed the father to be shaped how they lived their lives and how they related to the father and one another. So if this was the older brother and the younger brother, who does Jesus tell us in this story that the father was? He's revealing to us who God is. Who does he tell us the father is? We are told in this story that the father is home. He is home. He is where our hearts find home. He is the one who sees us on the road back and runs to meet us. You can imagine she's coming. He is coming. He is back. He is the one who sees us with all our questions, our shame, our waste, our search for belonging, our famine. He is the one who doesn't make us walk the whole road by ourselves, but runs to meet us. He is the one who goes to look for us in the field like he went to look for the older brother. He is the one who sees us, who knows where we are, who looks for us and says, hey, stop what you're doing. Come and have family time. It's time to be together. It's time to celebrate. The Father is the one who silences our speeches of unworthiness with his love. Maybe like the younger brother, if we're thinking, you know what? This has happened in my life. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say this to God and then God is gonna say this to me and I know how things are gonna work out and how they are gonna be. Except the Father is the one who silences our speeches of unworthiness with his love. Just as we begin to say, here I am, God, but I know 
things can't be like they used to be. I know I can no longer be your son or your daughter or whatever it might be. He is the one who breaks in and kisses our necks and hugs us home. He is the one who celebrates us for who we are and reminds us that we can never lose our place in his family. We can never move to being his son, from being his sons and daughters to his servants. When the younger son returned home, the father gave him a ring, a robe and sandals, all things that were symbolic of being a member of the family. He was saying, my inheritance for you never runs out. There is always more. I will always go above and beyond the expectation that you have of me. He is the one that tells us we can never earn a place in his family. This is not who he is or who we are. The one that goes to the younger son and says, when the older son says to him, I've slaved for you all my life. He says, what? what? What are you talking about? Everything I've got is yours. You don't need to earn this from me. I'm not asking you to slave for me to earn my respect or my reward. Everything I've got is already yours. And it says this throughout the New Testament. Everything that God has has been given to us. The fullness of who he is, is ours. The Father is the one who models love for us. Come and celebrate with me, he says. This is what love looks like. It looks like grieving the leaving and celebrating the return. And there might be things that we need to process and work out, but it begins with the party. It begins with time together. The Father, Jesus is telling us, is our home. He is life. He is the one who gives life and sustains life. And maybe we are thinking, you know, I would just love all that God has for me. The provision, where am I gonna live, God? I need the provision, the guidance. What job shall I take? What shall I do? The direction, the healing, the power to use, the gifts that he has given us, all of which are good things and things that he loves to share with us and gives to us. But if we want the inheritance without knowing the one who gives it, we will eventually encounter famine in our own lives. If we want all that the Father has for us, without knowing the Father, we will not be able to be sustained throughout our life. If we work hard, just like the older brother, for the sole reason of trying to earn our place in his family, trying to earn our place in this church, trying to earn his love and his respect, trying to get his attention. If that is the reason that we work hard, our only reward is that we will probably become bitter and start comparing ourselves to one another. But... If we ask the question of our heart, where have I wandered in my life? Where have I left home? And if we begin to make our way back to who the Father truly is, if we begin to let him meet us on the road, we will know life and life in all its fullness and we will be sustained through every season. Jesus tells us this story about the father and his two sons to help us understand who God is and who we are, to help us understand prayer. 
And we will go on over the next few weeks together to explore the many dimensions and depths and ways of praying. But today, this is where it begins. Teach us to pray, said the disciples. And Jesus replied, when you pray, say, Father. This is the prayer of the church. This is our communal prayer. This is the prayer of anyone who chooses to follow Jesus. Whether we're just starting to pray or whether we have prayed for years, the one that we are praying to is the Father who meets us on the road and walks us home. The Father who silences our speeches of unworthiness with his love. The Father who holds our whole stories in his arms. The Father who celebrates us as sons and daughters. The Father who longs for us to love our fellow humans as he does. The Father who is himself home. Who do we say that God is? Henry Nouwen in his book said, only God can fully dwell in that deepest place in you and give you a sense of safety. But the danger remains that you will let other people run away with your sacred center, thus throwing you into anguish. And it might take a great deal of time to reconnect your hidden self with your public self. Gradually though, you will begin feeling more connected and become more fully who you truly are, a child of God. There lies your real freedom. And I just um, close our time together today by just putting the question out there. And if you have never considered this before, as I said earlier, please know that you are so welcome to explore this. And maybe you know that you have historically given the answer a box. That's it, I'm not gonna think about it anymore. And maybe you think, do you know what? I don't wanna give this answer at the start of the series on prayer. I don't wanna give this answer at the start of this new year. I wanna actually maybe follow this question and see where it will take me to as I discover more and more of who God is. And if you would like to do either of those things, Alpha is a brilliant place to begin practically because this is just the everyday in, day out. And Alpha, if you wanna join that, we would love for you to do that, to bring your questions there. Or if you think, you know what? I've been on Alpha or I have done that before. Um, I'm gonna think of a different way. Well, Liam has put a blog on the website that has recommended some books for us to read. And a blog is gonna be going up tomorrow morning where we have space just to think about this. So there'll be helpful prompts for every day that will just encourage us to think and consider who God is. There's different ways to pray, whether it's on our own or with our friends or with our connect group. All of this to just take this question, if we choose to answer it, and help us as we head into this series on prayer. But I wonder if the band um, would like to come up. Thanks, Gorge, and I will pray. God, we thank you that you have told us who you are. 
When we ask this question, we don't need to guess or work it out for ourselves, but you have told us who you are. And I wanna thank you that you don't leave us to work this out on our own. You have given us your Holy Spirit to help us, to help us reveal and gain understanding and you've given us one another. And so I pray for each of us who wants to explore this question, who wants to learn again what it is to pray like Jesus. I pray for each of us in this week and over the, this, the weeks of this series that we would come to know more of your goodness and your kindness and your wisdom and your strength and your joy in our own lives and in the lives of who we are as Christchurch London. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit christchurchlondon.org